was intended not to rest at one church, but to be circulated around those provinces in the, in the churches. And it's interesting. Many of them had a Jewish background. If you know anything about Judaism, you know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had control of everything. As a matter of fact, Jesus had most of his problems with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what happened would be this. They would take uh, something that was to be sacred, they would put their interpretation on it, and then they would literally do very unscrupulous, unbiblical things to force their agenda. You remember when Jesus had resurrected from the grave, they paid the soldiers to say that his disciples came and stole his body. This is the kind of leadership that was active in Judaism. Whatever they interpreted, they felt like they could do whatever they wanted to do to force that through. And unfortunately, that has probably crept over into our churches where some churches' leaders think, and, and I'll get into just a moment here specifically, pastors and whatnot, but they think because of their opinions and they think they're right, they can do things even if it's unbiblical to force or ram through this. How many of you have ever been experienced or been, have seen or been under someone that abused pastoral authority. Anyone here? Have you ever seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm God's man. You do what I say. You don't question the man of God. Have you ever heard that kind of stuff? They even have that voice, God. I have a friend. I love him. I would never say his name. Hopefully he doesn't listen. I don't think he does. Uh, but anyways, he has like a voice that when you talk out and everything's good, and then, but like when it's church, how you doing, brother? You know, I mean, uh, I never could understand that. I don't know where that came from. I'm just sorry, I'll get back on track. But we've all been around those people who have abused pastoral authority. We've been around people who have wanted to force their own agenda. And Peter is writing to people who have experienced that. They have been dispersed because of persecution. They are where they are because persecution came because they converted from Judaism to Christianity. And what they went through as a result of that, there were all kinds of issues. And Peter is starting to wind down the first letter he writes, and then the second letter he'll address more things about growing, adding faith to virtue, and etc. And we'll talk about that when we get into 2 Peter. But he needs to establish in these churches, he needs to call the elders to be biblical, to be men of God. He does not give an exhaustive list of functioning of the elders or the pastors, but he gives a list that each of us should adhere to. And you say, okay, great. Well, if it's for you, then why are we hearing it? Because I may not always be your pastor. And there may be, there'll be a day, I will tell you this, there'll be a day when someone in this congregation will have to help choose another pastor, be on a search committee or something to that effect. And we all should know what biblical leadership should be all about. We all should see it and we should understand it. Because there are people, from I'm, I'm telling you it's almost weekly now, 
There are people that I come into contact with who used to be in a local New Testament church, but they're no longer in church because they were hurt by an overbearing, self-serving pastor. And the world is littered with Christians like that. And so what does the Bible say, specifically here in Peter, about biblical elders? Now let's look at this. He says, he starts in verse 1 of chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort. This word elder, now some people have, there's varying interpretations about this. I'm going to tell you what I've studied and what I've found. I'm not going to be dogmatic. I'm just going to lay it out there. This is what I have found in my studies. This word elder sometimes refers to someone that is older, aged. You know what I'm talking about? The elders. But it's not exclusively used in that sense. Most often when you find the elder speaking of the aged, he is talking to Israel. Because Israel put a, in, in their Judaism, they put a, a prominence on the aged. The aged were wise. They were wiser than the younger, so they had a lot of the leadership roles. But I remind you of Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. And Paul writes to Timothy, and Paul says, Timothy, let no man despise your youth. So when we come into context, context in this passage, when he says elder, he's speaking of the pastor, but he's speaking of the experience and the spiritual maturity of the pastor. You know, there are three or four words in the Bible. There's bishop. How many of you have heard of bishop? Man desires the office of a bishop. He desires a good thing. The office. That speaks. There are many of these words describe the office of the pastor or the function of the pastor. Bishop is one. It describes the office. Uh, how many of you have heard of pastor or shepherd? That's another word that describes it. Episcopos is another word that describes it. That's a Greek word. All describing the different functions of the pastor. And so when he comes to this passage in Scripture, I believe that he is not just directing the aged, but he is speaking to the pastors of the church. Churches, I should say. Now, another thing that why a lot of people interpret this only as the aged is when he gets down to verse 5, he speaks to the younger. So they say, well, contextually, he must be talking about the older in age because in verse 5 he speaks to the younger. But I'm telling you, he's speaking to the leaders who have spiritual maturity and they are the ones who have been given the job of being the overseers of the church. Now watch what he says. He says this, The elders who are among you I exhort. I am a fellow elder. So Peter is saying, listen, I exhort you I'm on the same plane as you, and I'm exhorting you, I'm, I'm encouraging you, I'm strongly advising you, encouraging you of this biblical function that you should partake. So what does it say? Look at verse, uh, let's finish verse 1. A witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Number two, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. The first responsibility of a biblical pastor is to shepherd the flock of God. I had sheep. And I will tell you this about sheep. You cannot drive sheep. You can drive cattle, but you cannot drive sheep. 
You have to lead sheep. You have to lead sheep. And there's three things when he talks about shepherding that the pastor is to do. Number one, he is to lead. Number two, he is to feed. And number three, he is to heed. To give a warning. The pastor's responsibility, first and foremost, is to feed the flock of God. It is my responsibility to preach the Word of God to you, to teach the Word of God to you every time we come together. I know some guys who are pastors, they rarely preach once or twice a month. They always have someone coming in. And I'm thinking, how can you do what God's called you to do when someone else is in your pulpit? The primary responsibility of the pastor is to preach and teach the Word of God. Now, I will say this. I am called, I, I visit the hospitals. I'm supposed to counsel people. I'm supposed to do this. But those are to fall secondary to the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because God chose the foolishness of preaching to save men's souls and to build us up. And so primarily, preach the Word of God. Secondly, lead. Feed and lead. Lead. Now, leading... As he said earlier, is by, or later, and I was read earlier, but later in the text, he says, be example. We have to lead by example. Leading the flock is not me telling, Jim, you better do this, or you're going to go to hell. That's her job. Okay, my bad. All right, thank you, Jim. <laughs> yeah, the invitation will be open in just a moment, brother. <clears throat> but anyways, that's not it. It's leading by example. And there's no one that's perfect. There is no one that's perfect. I, I've known some really godly pastors who have helped me tremendously in this area. Leading. I always thought it was funny. When we were growing up, how many of you remember your parents say, you'd say, they'd tell you to do something, you'd say, why? And they'd say, because I said so. You guys are smart. You're right on your A game today. Because I said so. Now, I'm not talking about parenting. I'm talking about pastoring. There should never be that attitude in a pastor because I say so. There should never be that. How many of you have heard the adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him Drink. And I, f I find it fascinating. The longer I'm alive, I can't tell anybody to do anything and they'll do it. Right? Is anybody with me? You can't tell, you can't force anyone to do it. All we can do is lead in the right paths and you're responsible to follow. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. Not my agenda. Not my worldwide recognition, which is amazing to me because we have churches that are so large, and I'm not against large churches, thank God for them. I'd rather be in a large church than not at all. But how do they pastor? How do they lead? It's hard. And I think this is more of a local church thing. And the pastor is to lead by example, is the pastor human? Absolutely. Does the pastor fail? Absolutely. The pastor, most times, is no different than anyone else, struggling with the same things. But the pastor can't be one to put himself on a pedestal and say, follow me blindly. 
That's pastoral abuse. The only authority the pastor has is in this book. And I have no authority to make you do it. I can tell you what the Word says, but you have to be obedient to the Word. And so, not only do we uh, feed and lead, but we heed. We warn people. When we preach the Word of God, we warn people. This is what the Word says. And if you discount the Word of God, you will face repercussions for it. You will. And so, the first responsibility is shepherd the flock of God. Notice he says, serving as overseers. Now, I'm going to tell you this. And I, I, I'll, can I be honest with you? This makes me extremely uncomfortable to preach about. It does. God has always chosen a man. He has always chosen a man. Some people believe that when he says elders here is plural, is a plurality of leadership. And I can't argue that one way or another. But if you go throughout the entirety of the Bible, God always chose a man. He always chose a man to lead his work. And, and guys, listen. I, I'm going to say it. and It'll be on the interweb and it doesn't matter. But internet, interweb, whatever. Here's the thing I want to say. God has chosen a man. It has to be a man to pastor a church. Amen. Women cannot pastor a church. Can women speak? They can speak. But until a woman can be the husband of one wife, which is a qualification, distinctly in the scriptures, a qualification, and it's gender specific, the Bible's clear. The woman is not to usurp authority over the man in the church. They're not to be over in the church. It's not my plan. It's the Lord's word of God. It's His word. And I need to say that because there are people, and you know someone that might have a, an, a family member that goes to a church, or you might listen to someone on the internet. That, that's between you and God. I'm just telling you, they can't be a pastor. And so, God has always chosen a man to lead. Now, in that leadership, he did not have ultimate authority. Moses did not have ultimate authority to do what he wanted to do. He could only do what God told him to do. Did you notice that as he's leading the children? When Moses struck the rock out of anger on his own, what happened? He, he was disciplined, wasn't he? Because it wasn't from God. He stepped outside of his bounds. So the biblical leader, the overseer, can only do what God says he can do. I can't conjure up my own things. Can't do it. Cannot do it. But I will tell you this. The pastor will be accountable unto the Lord for his leadership of the church. Fact. The Bible says that. And he says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. Now I love this word. Because if you take this Greek word and you look at it, it says, not by force or constraint. Now, I've had guys who, uh, uh, they've all preached these sermons. Well, I went to this church, and God called me to that church, and I ran all these people off, and I did this, and I fought and did all that. Listen, if you had to take the church by constraint, Peter says, are you sure God sent you there? 
not by constraint. I don't know. There, somehow, some way, in the independent Baptist movement, they felt like they were more spiritual the more they fought with each other. And the bolder they could be, and the more in their face they could be and challenge people, the more popularity they gained and they thought they were more spiritual. Yet, that kind of behavior does not exist within the confines of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, we had this whole dichotomy of preachers in the independent fundamental movement that they were God's man, and now I'm going to say it, and if I said it, bless God, it, it, it's, it's the gospel. No, the Word of God is God's Word. And so you can't take hostage a congregation. Some people say, well, sometimes your, firm, your, your sermons feel like we're in hostage situations here. Someone said there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. But the point I want to make is you can't force yourself upon a congregation. If you all called for a vote of the church tomorrow and you voted me out, I would be heartbroken. But I'd leave. Because I know what the Bible says. Let's not do that, but um, just, just a footnote. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but I can't take you by constraint. I can't make you guys be spiritual. I can't make myself be spiritual. It has to be a work of God, and the pastor has to be surrendered to the work of God. And what God says is what the pastor does. It's when we get into trouble is when we move or deviate from what God is saying to our own agendas, our own popularity, our own self-promotion. That's when the problems come. And he says, willingly, willingly. How many of you have heard a pastor say this? Well, when I was called to pastor, I didn't want to do it, and I fought with God and did it, blah, 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 blah. blah. Have you done, remember that? You ever heard someone say that? I've heard people say, I did everything I could to keep from pastoring. Well, the Bible says, he that desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. If the desire to minister and pastor, if that wasn't the call, then I don't know what the call was. I couldn't stand the thought of not pastoring. And so you have to do it willingly. And I, I, from time to time, I've met someone who maybe have been in a church for 20 or 30 years, and they're like, man, I just, I just can't stand it. But I have to deal with one more problem. And I understand that. I understand that. I mean, it, it's difficult. Sometimes, you know, you've got six or eight people in the hospital in different places, and... Sometimes you have people fighting in the church and you got one people wants to do this, one set of people wants to do this and you got all these things you got. But listen, it should not be a drudgery. It should not be something that you loathe or you hate. It's a calling of God. And as every family, you have issues you got to work out. And you do it willingly. You do it willingly. You do it voluntarily. That's what it means. And so the next one's a big one in my book because I've watched it not for dis, uh, nor dishonest gain, but eagerly. Dishonest gain. Not doing it because you get something out of it. Um, I remember one time at the church I grew up in, there was a, 
about six or eight of us preacher, they called them preacher boys. That's what they called them. They had a class. We had a class. And um, I, I just felt like God called me to preach. And I'd go to this class and we'd study and we'd do things. And we had different guys in the church that would teach us on uh, church, after church on Sunday nights. We'd stay and have a class and they'd teach us. And I remember one time when the pastor asked me to preach. This was before I was in ministry. I was, I was working and um, the pastor asked me to preach. And I preached, and I, and I overheard, it got back to me, that some of the guys in the class were like, huh, well, he only got to speak because he, he's East Ed. My dad was the chairman of the board. Like that, that, My dad had something to do with it or something. My dad will tell you he tried to talk me out of when I left insurance and when I left a good job at the company and went to work with the church full time. My dad tried to talk me out, not because he didn't want me to be a pastor, but he didn't... He wanted to make sure it was God and not me. But I remember those kind of things. And I remember how uh, I heard things about things that people would do. And they were supposed to be pastors of the church and they would do things. And, well, I could get this and I could do that and I can raise the money and I can do this. And, you know, there are some pastors that started out in a church pastoring and they left their church. And now they, all they are is fundraisers. They go to church to church to church and teach churches how they can raise money to, to, to build a building or something like that. And you know there are pastors who around the country, they, they call themselves pastors and they have a $25 million uh, parsonage. One of them had a $10,000 toilet. That's literally flushing money, isn't it? I mean, like really. Um, and they do these things. One had a jet, and it made the news, I don't really remember, several years ago. He had one jet, and he went to his congregation and asked for so many million to get another jet. And uh, I'm thinking, if you're a local pastor, why do you need a jet? I mean, a vet maybe, but not a jet. I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. But the point I want to make is sometimes men will do it so that they can get something out of it. Can I just move, put my pastor hat on here, listen, and say this. Don't ever do something for Jesus because you get something out of it. Do it for Jesus because you love him and he is Jesus and he's worthy of it. Amen. He's worthy of it. So the pastor is not supposed to do it so he gets something. Look at verse 3. This is a big one nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. There's a church in Huntington, and it's comical. And I know because I had a friend go there, and he told me about it. It was a large church. And the church would start, and all of a sudden they'd play some kind of promenade music, and the pastor and his wife would come in from the rear of the church, and they would march to the applause of the people down the aisle of the church which to me is about as goofy as anything I've ever heard of in a church. <coughs> there are pastors who have a bully pulpit. They get in the pulpit and they, they lord over you and they bully you and they, they beat you up. That's not pastoring. You'll not find a shepherd treating his sheep that way in the Bible. You'll not find the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, treating his sheep that way. Not lording over you. 
If I have to have my way, if I have to have my way, then I have crossed the line into an ego that needs to be humbled. Or deacons will tell you I'm not bragging. I don't mean that to be bragging. I want you to know that I don't do anything without the deacons. And we don't do anything above our authority without you. If we go to a deacon's meeting and I'm the only one that feels that we need to do this, we table it and pray about it. And they're here, you can ask them and they'll tell you. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to make deacon jokes. I respect these men. I serve with them. And I need them and I'm accountable to them and I'm accountable to you. But most importantly, I'm accountable to God. And church, we cannot have pastors that lord over the flock. There is one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is His church. Everyone else, we're servants. I'm what they refer to in the Bible as an under-shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. But being examples to the flock, I talked about that earlier. And I just want to say this. I missed one point that I think I need to revisit and say this. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's in this congregation. As a pastor, I have no business telling anybody else in their church what they need to do. I have no business jet-setting around the country, preaching in a bunch of different churches. Occasionally, with somebody I know, I may go speak at their church or something. But my primary responsibility is the flock among you, among me, right here, among us. And we're losing that today. There are churches that have seven satellite campuses, and on some of these satellite campuses, they go to church and they sit with a a large contingency of people, and they watch the preacher on television, and he's preaching from another, another state or another city. Now, I don't want to be too critical, but in my thinking, that loses the, the closeness. That loses our affection. That loses our family feel when we do that. And so, I say this with the, from the bottom of my heart, I mean this. This is a reminder to me. Pastors are a shepherd, the flock, the sheep. To be in your guys' lives, not meddling where you shouldn't meddle, but be there to help, to warn, to feed, to guide, to lead. Not so that I get something out of it, but because you're God's children. And He's entrusted you to this church and right now I'm the pastor to me and not to lord over you and not to push my agendas and not to push my ego but to serve you and it's very important because we're losing that in our churches today we're losing the connectivity between the pastor and the church some churches, pastors 
are celebrities. They come in after church has started. They leave before it's over. And they have no contact with their people. Is that what God intended? That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, listen, the pastor is to serve God by serving you. Now, I will say this, and again, this makes me incredibly uncomfortable. A congregation can't abuse a pastor. It can't happen. And I will just say this, as with anything. If pastors abuse the sheep, woe unto them, God's going to take care of it. And if a church, people, congregation abuses their pastor, God will take care of them. You know, there are some pastors, or excuse me, some churches today that have no they have maybe 10 or 12 people, and they can never, ever grow because of the way they've treated their pastors. I, I want to tell you this. I mean this with all my heart. I've only pastored in two churches. I grew up in a church. I was saved there. I was baptized there. I was married there. My mother was buried there. Everything that happened to me, I was called to pastor in that church. I was trained there. I was ordained there. And I was in that church serving when I came here for 20 years. I would love, I would love to finish here and say that I've only been in two churches all my life. Because there are several pastors who cannot say that. There are several pastors who have been in six and seven churches. The trend is every three or four years now, they change churches. And I just want to say this. I thank you for allowing me to pastor. And this has been a reminder for me that I have to daily check myself to make sure that I'm not preaching one thing and doing another. Because I will tell you, I have flesh and I'm capable of doing that. But I tell you, the office of the pastor has a responsibility of shepherding the flock which consists of feeding, leading, and heeding. I have the responsibility of loving you guys and caring for you guys. Do I fail? Absolutely. Am I going to fail? Absolutely. But I have the warning of the Scriptures not to be lording over you and not to take this church by constraint. can't do that. I can simply love you serve you, teach you the Word of God, and encourage you. Beyond that, I have no real authority. And so, some of you in this congregation may have been in a church where a pastor's hurt you. I'm sorry for that. I may have hurt you. I'm sorry for that. But I will tell you this. What we need today is less show less cameras, less all that garbage, and more of the Word of God and the loving and growing of the saints. And he says, for those elders, those pastors who, who do well, who do it right, there is a crown, a crown of glory. There's a specific award for pastors and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. My motivation for pastoring you, number one, I love Jesus Christ. 
But number two, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And one day, my heart's desire is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And to receive that crown of glory that is reserved for faithful pastors. They don't, no one else gets that, just the faithful pastors. And I want to be in that group. I would rather have that than dude Simonis billboards. He threatened me one time he was going to put a billboard with my picture on it. And if he does, you all know who did it. I didn't do that. Garbage. But I want to tell you this, church. Just remember this. There'll be a day. Sometimes, Lord, we never know. God may move you somewhere. God may move you somewhere. And you may have to look for a church. When you evaluate the church, don't... I hear this more and more, and it takes everything I can to keep from losing my sanity. Don't choose a church because of the music. Don't do that. Worship is in your heart. A hymn, if you worship, it doesn't matter if it's a hymn or contemporary, it doesn't matter. Choose a church because the word of God is preached. They have a biblical pastor and the people seek to serve Christ. And listen to me. There are many other things going on. There are many other churches. And I've gotten to a place in my life, I used to be, when I used to go visit people, I used to try to sell our church. I don't do that anymore. Because if the Word of God is not enough, then the dog and pony show is not going to work. Somebody said if you get them with a hamburger, you've got to keep them with a hot dog, or vice versa. And we need to have Christians that want to be under the preaching of God's word and want to grow and want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do. That's, that's shepherding. And I want you guys to know that you all love the Lord and you serve the Lord. I know it was in physical therapy and I was talking to the fellow and he was telling me and he he found out I was a pastor. He said, where are you a pastor? I, tell, I told him. and He said, uh, are you a full-time pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a full-time pastor. He said, well, how big are you all? And I told him. He said, well, you're about the size of our church. And he said, how in the world do, you, do they afford to have you full-time? And I said, they just give. They love the Lord and they give. I don't know. I mean, you called me to be a full-time pastor when we didn't have the money to give. Isn't that right, Joe? And... Um, but you give. And I could stand up here and I could lord over you and say, you're not giving enough, you're not giving enough, you're not giving enough, you're not enough. I don't do that. I don't do that. Hey, if you don't give, that's between you and God. And you know what? You'll figure it out if you're a born-again believer in Jesus. I was talking to a lady this week and she was telling me, she said, there's a church on the west side, I don't know if you know this or not. I love these little... Women tell me this. There's a church on the west side. I don't know if you know it's not. But the pastor, if you stop tithing, the pastor will go to your house and ask you why you're not giving. She told me that. I was like, really? That's not why I'm here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, but, but that kind of stuff, 
is not a biblical pastor. Hey, can, I, can, I just ask you, can I ask you one question? If the church is a work of God, it'll be fine, won't it? If it's not a work of God, it ain't going to work no matter what you do. So let's do it God's way, and let's trust Him for all the blessings. And I encourage you, I encourage you, church, Peter writing to all these different people under all these people with different leadership styles and whatnot. Listen, there's only one leadership style that matters, and that was Christ's leadership, and that was of a servant leader. Servant leader. If you find yourself under a pastor, including myself, where that's not happening, that is biblical grounds for leaving a church. And I encourage you. Maybe there might be someone in here that doesn't know it yet. And maybe God might be working in your life. One day you'll be a preacher. Read what Peter says. Don't lord over people. Don't pastor with constraint. Don't pastor for personal gain. Pastor because God called you. Pastor, because you love the great shepherd. And pastor, because you love his sheep. And you'll be just fine. I know this was a message about pastors. And like I said, I wasn't real anxious to preach it. But I do want to tell you, I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. You all have been good. We, I've, there have been times through the years where we had some really significant struggles, but God brought us through it all. And uh, I just pray that together we'll continue to grow and God will do what he wants to do. And we're not going to do it superficially by means of flesh, but we're going to do it God's way together. And we'll watch him receive all of the glory. Amen. Would you bow with me just for a second? I know, again, as I said, this message was for uh, the church and about pastors, but let me ask you a question. Is there someone here?